0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode in the Leading Safely podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about choices and here's why. Just four days ago, a 54-year-old worker on the Cross River Rail project in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, fell about 10 metres from scaffolding onto a concrete surface, striking several objects on the way down. From what I can see online, he's currently still in hospital in a critical condition. His son, who also works on the same site, is said to have witnessed the whole event. There are so many things about this that have already irked me. For example, there is the comment in the media that states that he was not wearing a harness, yet there is no confirmation of whether the area he was working in actually required the use of one to mitigate a fall risk. Just saying that he was not wearing a harness without that further information for me is alluding to the whole blame piece, and well, you know where I stand on that. The next thing is reading the comments from the Cross River Rail Delivery Authority that state, Safety is Cross River Rail's top priority and we expect our contractors to uphold the highest possible standards. Let's get this straight. There is no business that has safety as their highest priority. You are one of Queensland's largest, if not the largest, government-funded projects on the books. Safety is 100% not your biggest priority. Delivery to deadline is your biggest priority. On the same day the worker fell, another event occurred at another cross-river rail site where a steel rod fell through a forklift windscreen. Then, let's not forget, the project across all of its sites has had 331 workplace health and safety notices issued to date. Now, that's not unusual and it is expected, especially since the regulator would frequent such prominent Queensland projects. But that doesn't help the statement when you're out there saying it's your number one or your highest priority. Next, by saying that we expect our contractors to uphold the highest standards gives the impression that was not the case with the organisation that this particular worker belongs to. And for me, it's a very passive and again, blamey statement. Obviously these unfortunate events are all over the news and what I'm seeing is that some safety professionals here in Queensland as well as elsewhere around Australia and the world are jumping on the Choices bandwagon and it really is getting to me. So let me elaborate a little. The Choices bandwagon is giving ride to all of these folks saying, but the worker made a choice to not wear a harness, or the worker chose to work outside the documented procedure. The other element I'm going to throw into the mix here is when workers are told you just need to choose to be safe or those companies with slogans like I know safe and I choose safe. In my lecture with Sidney Decker last week, he made a comment which really resonated with me and that was, workers don't make choices. They have choices. Let me just repeat that again. Workers don't make choices They have choices. When I think about this a little more, I think it makes sense and it really resonated with me because of my fundamental belief in chasing the how down and not just the why. When it comes to learning from events and really from human error, we should be seeking to understand how something was able to occur and so with Sydney's comment on choices it speaks to the point of whenever an event occurs or even just an error is made for us to truly learn we need to understand how was the choice the worker made even a choice to begin with what were the systems and processes in place that created the conditions those circumstances etc for this worker which in turn gave them that specific choice as an option human error by definition is an inevitable and unpredictable, as well as unintentional failure in the way that we perceive, think or behave. It's not a behavioural choice. We do not choose to make errors, just like we do not come to work and choose to get hurt. Then there are those who might say, but the worker had a choice to stop work. Unfortunately, it is never that easy. And anyone who has worked in a not-so-flash work environment knows this is the case. Let's face it, frontline workers can't just stop work because they weren't provided with correct PPE or because critical controls were not in place. If they work in a toxic work environment or even in a work environment where they don't feel the slightest bit psychologically safe, the choice they have is keep your job and be unsafe or lose your job and perhaps find another cowboy business to be a part of. And it's never as easy as these LinkedIn posts are making out to be, where people are saying the worker had a choice and should have stopped the work, or even they should have chosen to think about their family. To be brutally honest, those kinds of statements make me a little bit mad. But to put things back into perspective, I'm going to take things a step back to the fact that there are two schools of thought around human error. There's the person approach and the systems approach. The person approach to human error is that long-standing and widespread tradition focusing on the unsafe acts, errors and procedural violations of people at the sharp end. It views these unsafe acts as arising primarily from the aberrant mental processes such as forgetfulness, inattention, poor motivation, carelessness, negligence and recklessness. Naturally enough, the associated countermeasures are directed mainly at reducing unwanted variability in human behaviour. These methods include those poster campaigns that appeal to people's sense of fear, or writing another procedure or adding to existing ones, disciplinary measures, threats of legal or litigation, retraining, naming, blaming and shaming. Followers of this approach tend to treat errors as moral issues, assuming that bad things happen to bad people, what psychologists have called the just world hypothesis. This is where I think those people who say the worker had a choice sit, with the view that the worker is in control of their own safety and nothing else matters or contributes. It's the same line of thinking when an event occurs, as in this group would normally say, well, the worker chose to do X, Y, Z. The other way of looking at things is the systems approach. The systems approach has basic premise, and that is that humans are fallible and errors are to be expected, even in the best organisations. Errors are seen as consequences rather than causes, having their origins not so much in the perversity of human nature as in the upstream systemic factors. These include recurrent error traps in the workplace and the organisational processes that give rise to them. Countermeasures are based on the assumption that though we cannot change the human condition, we can change the conditions under which humans work. A central idea is that of system defences. All hazardous technologies possess barriers and safeguards. When an adverse event occurs, the important issue is not who blundered, but how and why the defences failed. Over the past decade, researchers into human factors have been increasingly concerned with developing the tools for managing unsafe acts. Error management has two components limiting the incidence of dangerous errors, and since this will never ever be wholly effective, creating systems that are better able to tolerate the occurrence of errors and contain their damaging effects. Whereas followers of the person approach direct most of their management resources at trying to make individuals less fallible or wayward. Adherents of the system approach strive for a comprehensive management program aimed at several different targets. The person, the team, the task, the workplace and the institution as a whole. High-reliability organisations, which are systems operating in hazardous conditions that have fewer than their fair share of adverse events, offer important models for what constitutes a resilient system. Such a system has intrinsic safety health, it is able to withstand its operational dangers and yet still able to achieve its objectives. The safety sciences know more about what causes adverse events than about how they can be best avoided. Over the past 15 years or so, a group of social scientists based mainly at Berkeley and the University of Michigan have sought to redress this imbalance by studying safety successes in organisations rather than their infrequent but more conspicuous failures. These success stories involve nuclear aircraft carriers, air traffic control systems and nuclear power plants. Most managers of traditional systems attribute human unreliability to unwanted variability and strive to eliminate it as far as possible. In HROs or high reliability organisations on the other hand, it's recognised that human variability in the shape of compensations and adaptations to changing events represents one of the system's most important safeguards. Reliability is a dynamic non-event. It is dynamic because safety is preserved by timely human adjustments. It is a non-event because successful outcomes rarely call attention to themselves. High-reliability organisations can reconfigure themselves to suit local circumstances. In their routine mode, they're controlled in the conventional hierarchical manner. But in high-tempo or emergency situations, controls shift to the experts on the spot, that deference to expertise, as it often does in the medical domain, for example. The organisation reverts seamlessly to the routine control mode once the crisis has passed. Paradoxically, this flexibility arises in part from a military tradition. Even civilian high-reliability organisations have a large proportion of ex-military staff. Military organisations tend to define their goals in an unambiguous way, and for these bursts of semi-autonomous activity to be successful, it's essential that all the participants clearly understand and share these aspirations. Although high-reliability organisations expect and encourage variability of human action, they also work very hard to maintain a consistent mindset of intelligent wariness. Blaming individuals is emotionally more satisfying than targeting institutions. Perhaps the most important distinguishing feature of high-reliability organisations is their collective preoccupation with the possibility of failure. They expect to make errors and train their workforce to recognise and recover from them. They continuously rehearse familiar scenarios of failure and strive hard to imagine novel ones. Instead of isolating failures, they generalise them. Instead of making local repairs, they look for system reforms. So far, three types of high-reliability organisations have been investigated. US Navy nuclear aircraft carriers, nuclear power plants and air traffic control centres. The challenges facing these organisations are twofold. Managing complex demanding technologies so as to avoid major failures that could cripple or even destroy the organisation concerned. Maintaining the capacity for meeting periods of very high peak demand whenever these occur. The organizations studied had these defining characteristics. They were complex, internally dynamic and intermittently intensively interactive. They performed exacting tasks under considerable time pressure. And they'd carried out these demanding activities with low incident rates and an almost complete absence of catastrophic failures over several years. Although on the face of it, these organisations may seem far removed from the likes of construction projects or mine sites or manufacturing organisations here in Australia. The lessons to be learnt from these organisations are clearly relevant for anyone managing an organisation in any high-risk industry. Remember, the worker doesn't make or create the choice. The worker has the choice, and that choice is there because of those systems and processes within the organisation that allowed it to be. Stop talking about workers making better choices and instead focus on building resilient systems and processes so that those options or choices that might lead to an event are not there in the first instance. So that brings us to the close of another episode. Until next time, stay safe.